We continue our discussion of the letters to Sarah next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? This small book entitled Letters to Sarah is used by polygamists especially to convince potential plural wives to make the decision to marry into polygamy, especially if it's they were doubting. It's amazing. <laughs> it is. And, and as we go through this, we pray that women in polygamy will listen to our comments about some of these letters and learn that God's perfect will for her doesn't include sharing her husband with multiple wives. This is part two of our comments, and we encourage our viewers to judge polygamy according to biblical revelation only, because nowhere in the Bible is found a command from God for plural marriage. The letters in this book, Letters to Sarah, are based on the polygamous belief that God commanded Sarah to give Hagar to Abraham, and so from that they established the law of Sarah, which is not taught in the Bible, but is in their Doctrine and Covenants section 132, the polygamy revelation, <clears throat> where the first wife is commanded to give her husband plural wives. However, anyone who reads the account in Genesis chapter 16 will quickly see that it was all Sarah's idea, God had nothing to do with it, nor was it Abraham's idea, even though he quickly agreed to it. But later, Sarah admitted that they had done wrong and placed the blame on Abraham. We will quote. Verses 4 and 5. <coughs> he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. That doesn't sound very godly, does it? No. That God had anything to do with it. And no. of course, in the whole passage, read the entire chapter, you'll find that God didn't have anything to do with it. And Sarah obviously regretted giving Hagar to her husband. And you can read the story for yourself. If you can find where God uh, did command that, I'd like you to make a note of it and send me the reference. Um, we want to quote from the next letter in the book of Letters to Sarah. <clears throat> I think one has to be careful when talking to others about their personal feelings and experiences because they really do affect others and get embedded in their minds. I had several people who wanted to talk to me and share what they went through when entering the principal. No one tried to discourage me, but it felt like in a loving way they were trying to warn me or wake me up to the realities of plural marriage. I often walked away from those talks drained and almost fearful of the future. Well, that doesn't make you want to enter into it, does it? <laughs> Happy times. <laughs> yeah. And almost every letter uh, that has been written in this book to prospective plural wives uh, warns her or refers to fear, to the painful realities of plural marriage. Again, a biblical marriage is to be uniting of two people in love, joy, and rejoicing plural marriages causes the opposite. And at the end of this letter, she said, quote, your sister wife is marrying you just as much as she is marrying your husband. Ooh, yeah. What? <laughs> I would really would like you to find a biblical basis for that statement. Now, we've mentioned before about an Old Testament passage where God gave instructions to a prophet 
And then another prophet came along and knowingly lied to the first prophet, telling him that God said to do something else. We want to quote, it's a long passage, but we want to quote it for our viewers. That's good, from 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 15 through 28. So the prophet said to him, come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread and drink water with you in this place. I have told you by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread and drink water there or return by the way you came. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah, This is what the Lord says, You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat and drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your father's. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him, and as he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him, and his body was thrown down on the road with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Some people who passed by saw the body thrown down there with the lion standing beside the body, and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion, which has mauled him and killed him, as the word of the Lord had warned him. Okay, so we have two prophets Mm. here. Yes. A lying prophet (laughs) who knowingly misled the The other other prophet saying that God told him to do something God had already told him not to do. And God punished the disobedient prophet, and the lying prophet knew, even admitted, that this happened because he had defied God's word. The same is true with the principle of polygamy. Women or men who encourage women or other people to enter into polygamy will be held accountable for influencing others to do what God has not commanded we do. The Bible tells us about a lying spirit who goes out and puts lies into the mouths of men who are seen as prophets. And Jesus warned us many, many times, watch out, do not be deceived. Most of these letters reveal how painful polygamy can be, but what a blessing it could be because God told them to do it and they would be blessed if they obeyed. Mm. Sounds like the lying prophet to me. Yeah. But like the lying prophet, God cannot command us to do something that opposes what, what he previously said. Yeah. We have some quotes. Genesis 2.24 For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And from Matthew 19, four, verses 4 through 6, Haven't you read, he, Jesus, replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. So Jesus affirmed 
the creation account of Genesis right. about Adam and Eve, a monogamous couple. These scriptures are not for private polygamist interpretation. These mean exactly what they say. Monogamy was God's original and only plan for marriage as witnessed by those and many other scriptures in the Bible. Let's go to another letter. What Joseph Smith did, huh? What he did is so <laughs> devastating, yes. It might be different for you and for others, but I feel there is a righteous pain involved. I have a deep love for the gift of Sarah and the opportunity that I have had with it. I want to share with you about half, about halfway through the week that my husband and sister wife were on their honeymoon, I kind of fell off the cloud that I had been riding, and I started battling a bunch of feelings that were not joyful. In the back of my mind, something started telling me that I had been betrayed and even conspired against by the two of them. I started battling feelings of resentfulness and jealousy and just plain feeling left out. My mind could remember all the testimonies that I had been given about it, but the nagging thoughts and feelings were real and were draining me of peace and happiness. Finally, I recognized these thoughts and feelings as the lies they really were. I had been told before that Satan works hard to destroy potential celestial families, and it was obvious to me, finally, that these thoughts were of the author of lies. So she talked herself that's what Out they of her do. Depression. That's exactly what they have to do. They have to do that. Actually, what she said, the opposite is true, true of her conclusions is true. When a woman's husband is with another woman, it's natural and normal, and it's not wrong no. to feel jealous and resentful and rejected. This is a God given response for adultery. It is not a wicked or wrong jealousy, but it is an honest response when the one you love has turned to share his love and devotion with someone else. And the devil doesn't try hard to destroy potential celestial families. He actually promotes celestial or plural families because polygamy destroys the very thing that God himself established, which is monogamy. Takes your eyes off Jesus. Takes your eyes off him. Yeah, because yeah. he's the center of salvation. Not yeah. polygamy, not monogamy, no, just right. Jesus, only Jesus. Right. Um, it's interesting that all through this little book, there are several verses and passages from the Bible that they use to help keep women quiet and peaceful and passively accept their religion, which is strange because polygamists don't even trust the Bible, yet that at their convenience, they will certainly quote it. We have another excerpt. Yeah, page 43. I'm not one with beautiful words, but it is my testimony that it is the order of the gods that we should live plural celestial marriage. It is a tool for us to learn to be like God. I have been very blessed to have had to have such a wonderful husband and sister wife. I am thankful for the opportunity I've had to live this way. Now, this is one that bear, I hear a lot. Bear her testimony there. And, and, and people in polygamy will hear this a lot, this very thing, different words, but this, the very same concept. Now, in Mormonism, as you can agree, and in polygamy, a testimony yeah. is a very personal, emotional, and experiential thing. Yeah. Uh, but truth is not established uh, by emotions, feelings, or experiences. True. A person's testimony cannot be true if it does not align with God's testimony on any matter. Jesus said that God's testimony is true, 
which means an opposing testimony cannot be true. We quote from John. John five thirty seven through 40. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word, word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Crucial to eternal life <clears throat> is believing and trusting Jesus Christ yeah. and his testimony. That's crucial. Where in this passage in John that we just read, or any other passage, do we find the testimony of plural marriage? I challenge you, you know, we've made this challenge many, many times, but we challenge you, cover to cover in the Bible, find a testimony of plural marriage. And really, it's not there. No. The next excerpt comes from page 45, which says, quote, I just knew polygamy was part of his plan. I thought I should pray about it because I kept hearing that you know you have a testimony when you pray and get a sweet burning feeling inside. So I did. Instead of a burning answer, I felt a very sweet and strong, you already know. <laughs> Notice the reliance on feelings. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. But, but feelings are not the barometer for truth. Feelings can manipulate and be manipulated. Now, in his letter to Christians in the Bible, Peter said, the written word of God is more reliable than experiences are. That we are to stand upon God's word, not upon personal experience. He said, God's word is more sure. So who or what will you trust? Your experiences or God's word? The same woman wrote later, in this letter, in her letter. Once I was really wondering why Heavenly Father would ask this of women, why he would ask us to do this, give so much of ourselves, lay our hearts on the altar, be expected to stand sweetly by. The men go off with their someone new while we stay at home taking care of our children, stuck with our thoughts and emotions. One night my husband's dad visited and I, poured, I just poured it all out. He listened, and when I finally stopped, he told me some really sweet things. He told me he was proud of me, that he loved me, and that Heavenly Father did too. Well, she went on. <laughs> Consoling words. Yes, absolutely. She went on to explain that he said that because he's a man, he doesn't understand completely how women feel in polygamy, but from his experience, he had a pretty good idea. But what stood out most in her memory was when he said, women have a very special place in the Lord's heart because of what they are asked to sacrifice over and over in their lives. They are held in high esteem by the Lord that God knows our sacrifices as women and how they lay their hearts on the line for the principle. She said she takes great comfort in those words. <laughs> I understand where she's coming from. I saw my mother's pain and loneliness and resentment, although I didn't understand it at the time. I did later. But she took her frustrations out on her children. She was very abusive to us. And this very thing is repeated 
endlessly in polygamous families, despite the fact they believe requires their, that God requires their miserable lives. Oof. God does love us. But he doesn't love you more because you're a plural wife than he would love you if you were not a plural wife. His love is not conditional. God is love. That's who he is. A loving God doesn't require misery to earn his favor, but offers shelter and protection from the abuses caused by polygamy. He offers himself as a shield and a refuge from it. Our next quote. Wow. From page 51. I believe that I was one in the pre-existence who covenanted with God that I would do all I could to live this law and live it in a pleasing way to him. I have had many questions during hard times, wondering why God would ask us to do this. It is after low times like that where I receive a witness of some kind of its truthfulness and of the beauty there can be in it. And often at those times of struggling is when I will feel God's love for me, that he loves me so much, and that's why he wants me to live it. Boy, Again, this is really talking the girls into... <laughs> oh, it is. It is. It, it reaches deep into their conscience. Of course, now we have to understand these girls are conditioned from the cradle sure. uh, for polygamy. So it, you know, yeah. they may be trying to rebel from it, but <laughs> that's where they're coming from. Now, what she says in this letter, again, the opposite is true. Yeah. The God of love could not require such an emotionally debilitating way to earn eternal life. God of love would not do that. A God of love would come and die on the cross for you. That's what he would do. Marriage is for two people only. And the Bible is very clear about that fact. A feeling-based testimony is not reliable. We have another illustration of dependence on feelings rather than on fact from page 53. Do you want to read that one? Sure. <clears throat> to live the law of Sarah is an essential and beautiful thing. The moment you give your husband to another, your marriage with your husband will become more binding, more complete, and sure, this and sure, <laughs> this special act is taking a very large step towards eternal exaltation, and your spirit feels this and acknowledges it. Okay, they've got eternal exaltation in here where right. they believe that polygamy uh, will help you earn to be exalted into becoming a god of your own. But notice again that the feelings here are mentioned, uh, and, and, but they're not the measure of truth. But they use them as a measure of truth. Yeah. Our eternal life is dependent only on Jesus Christ and on his death on the cross, his resurrection and his promise that our faith in him alone brings us the free gift of eternal life. Colossians tells us that all the laws and ordinances were nailed to the cross along with all of our sins when we trust him alone for our eternal life. Most of the letters in this book take great pain to explain away the hurt and the loneliness, uh, the overcoming of the dark and hard times of sharing their husbands. Why? If it was truly so great, holy, and glorious, it would not have the pain and the loneliness and the dark times. The fact that every polygamous marriage explains the dark days the, the deep and bitter emotions of hurt, jealousy, and bitterness of sharing their husband, and the advice given in every letter on how to overcome 
or refuse to react to the emotional pain is clear and is obvious evidence that polygamy is not a righteous principle, as they all claim, and attempt to convince others that it is. <laughs> One outstanding statement said this. <laughs> Page 69. When you speak of the Lord's laws, you are standing on sacred ground. Remove your clodhoppers. <laughs> <laughs> now that was just part of this long letter that this particular woman wrote. And it's quite clever. Yeah. But it's not factual. And, 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 of course, again, the best response to this comes from the Bible. And I was wondering, as I was reading this, if uh, she said that the Lord's laws are sacred ground, if she was referring to Moses' experience at the burning bush uh, when God told him that he was standing on holy ground and to take, take off his off sandals. His sandals yeah. But if you read the account... It wasn't God's law that was holy. It was God's presence. Sure. And Moses hadn't even received the law yet. So how could the That's law be true. it? We're not allowed into heaven through keeping religious law. Jesus fulfilled the law so that we are no longer standing on the ground of the Lord's laws and ordinances. A question. Can our personal righteousness be better than Jesus' righteousness? Hmm. Only Jesus' righteousness opens the door to heaven. We are given the gift of His righteousness when we trust Him to wash away our sins and trust Him alone to save us, based on the cross where He took care of it all and proclaimed it is finished. Yeah. Jesus' righteousness is the only righteousness that pleases God. And we either have it through his free gift of grace or we don't have it at all. Our own righteousness can never equal or supersede his. And Isaiah 57, 12 put it this way, I will expose your righteousness and your works and they will not benefit you. Isn't that good? Yeah. That's clear. This is Old Testament stuff yeah, too. It is good. And this is God's testimony. Only Christ's righteousness will benefit our own won't. That's self-righteousness, and God doesn't like self-righteousness. We quote from Galatians as well. Yep, 3, 11, and 12. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. The law is based on works, right? Yeah. And we are not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. And it's very clear. This is, this is clear. We're saved by His grace through faith. Then that is the true higher law. We quote from another letter. On page 71, it says, I spend a lot more time with my sister wife than I do with my husband. We read some of that, or, or so, someone else commented about mm -hmm. that. And I think I have got a better relationship with her than I do with him. When you spend all day, every day with someone, you need to work on having a good relationship with them. And this was another person that wrote yeah. this. So you can see that this is a general Common. thinking. Yeah. Uh, and that may be true. Uh, they may get along. But that isn't the way God ordained marriage. <laughs> he did not say that the two wives would become one. He said that a man and his wife would be one. And we've already quoted Jesus's affirmation of that. The next quote peels away the false idea that polygamy is all roses and peace. From page 77, we read this. <laughs> one of my daughters asked me if I could name one marriage in the group I would like to emulate because she couldn't see any. Ouch. 
I considered my own marriage, the marriage of my sister wives, parents, in-laws, friends, acquaintances, council members, young, old, and I found I could not answer her. Very telling, yes, don't you think? It is. I think it is a big ouch. And it confirms what we just said, the pretense that polygamy is so wonderful and gives peace and comfort is merely a counterfeit of what comes from Jesus alone. Now, about the denial of painful and negative feelings in her former, uh, in her plural marriage, former FLDS polygamous wife, Mary Macker, said that her drug of choice was not to feel her feelings. Mm. And that's the true legacy of every polygamous wife. Just have to... You don't feel those negative feel feelings. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you have to come up with your own new reality yeah. because you can't feel your feelings. It was too painful. So we have one more to go yeah. on this three-part be interesting series. to have an, a former FLDS person or former polygamist write this same kind of... or uh, get these their letters to people who are... Thinking about going into polygamy. <laughs> Whoa, that's a great idea. Let's yeah. see if we can get something together here for that. That'd be wonderful. Okay. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 28, that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Well, if looking on another woman is equal to adultery, how can it be okay to take another woman to bed? Notice it was Jesus who said this. Human words in a ritual or a ceremony does not sanctify or legitimize a plural marriage when God has decreed only monogamy and clearly identified what adultery is. God has never sanctified multiple spouses nor decreed it for eternal life. Jesus said everyone who listens to him is on the side of truth. Which side of truth are you on? Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.